Hi, it's Kate Brownfield from ADHDKidsCanThrive.com. Thank you for listening. If you're enjoying this podcast, please like, comment, and share as it'll help others find the ADHD Kids Can Thrive podcast. I really do appreciate your support. My guest today is Lisa Leitner. She is a special education advocate and an IEP parent herself. She created a resource for all parents who are navigating 504s and IEPs called adayinourshoes.com. Please enjoy our conversation. Hi, Lisa. Thank you for joining me today. Sure. Thank you for having me. Yes. I'm looking forward to this. Okay. So um, let's just begin with, um, if you could just tell us a little bit about you and um, how you became a special education advocate and what you do with a day in our shoes.org, right? Is it .org or .com? It's both actually, which, which I can explain. Um, okay. Sure. So yeah, so I'm Lisa Leitner. I have lived in southeastern Pennsylvania for most of my life in uh, suburban Philadelphia area. My first child was born in the 2000s. And at about eight or 10 months of age, we got his diagnosis. He has a duplicate chromosome, a rare condition. And so we got, you know, I kind of entered this, this world. I didn't know any different. You know, he's my first child. So, uh, he started going, he started receiving services actually at six months and he started going to a special needs preschool at three and they sent home some information on advocacy skills and things like that. And I just said to my husband, like, Hey, we're going to need this knowledge for, because it was, it was an expensive program. I don't want to name it, but it was a very expensive program. It was $2,000. Um, and I said, yeah, this is a lot of money to us, you know, but yeah. we're going to use this for 20 years. Like, cause I was just, you know, I was overwhelmed at that point, you know, by the time he was three, I had another baby. Um, so I had a baby, I had a toddler, a disabled toddler at that. And I mean, he had an IEP at three, so, you know, that's what we did. And then from there, it just, I had been teaching at the time. And from there, I just parlayed it into, into a job and, I had to do some volunteer hours to, as part of my training and that volunteer experience turned into a part-time job. I did that for a little while. And then I just went out on my own started. Um, I had a, I had a different blog at the time about frugal living and couponing and things like that. Um, kind of a little fun fact about me is I am one of those crazy coupon ladies or used to be, <laughs> um, I, I used to do that extreme couponing thing. I thought it was fun. So I had a blog about that and uh, an advocate friend of mine is like, oh, I wanna start a blog about advocacy. And I was like, well, hey, I have a blog. I know how to do that. And so that's what we did. And she didn't wanna do it after a few months. She thought it was too much work, but I really loved doing it. And really very early on, if you remember in the 2000s, a lot of moms were writing blogs and they were kind of like that memoir, storytelling, yes. sharing your life experience kind of thing. And that's really what it started out to be. But because she and I were both advocates, we would always add in like a teachable moment, you know what I mean? Or whatever we had learned or, or something like that. And instantly, like that's what people started coming to the site for. Um, and we knew that because we were the only ones doing anything like this at the time. And they were like, oh my gosh, like, you know, just explaining, like we would explain a story with the client, of course not saying their names or anything like that, but using it as a, as a teachable moment of, you know, if you're, if your child gets suspended, 
this is what you do kind right. of thing. And then all of a sudden we had all these parents coming at us saying, oh my gosh, my, my, my child's getting suspended all the time and, and things like that. So that's really how it evolved. That's a day in our shoes.com. It, at this point, it has, I think, 650-ish articles, um, you yeah. know, all kinds of things, all kinds of like lists of resources, lists of accommodation ideas for various um, skill deficiencies and, and things like that. Um, it has IEP goal ideas. It has a huge IEP goal bank. And then a day in our shoes.org, which because I also own that domain, I keep that as just kind of like a hub where you can see where I'm going to be speaking, where I'm going to be offering training and things like that. Okay. Um, so that you don't have to weed through this whole giant site to say, what does she have going on right now? Okay. Um, yeah. So the .org is more like what you're doing professionally with your own advocacy efforts. Yes. And then the .com have, is yeah, more I, like a searchable kind of, if you need to get yourself educated a little bit right. or a lot. You can right. Or you're just asking, com. like, I don't know, um, like, what are some strategies for, like, one of one of the really popular ones I have is, um, it's tips and and how to if you if you think your child needs a one on one aid or a one on one para, how do you get that added to your IEP? And it's a it's a giant article, you know, that you have to kind of muddle through because it, it's a it's a big decision, it's a big deal. Um, but that's kind of like the type of information that you find on my site. Whereas on a day in our shoes.org, you know, I'm speaking um, for the Learning Disabilities Association of America. I'm speaking for them, with them, whatever, next week. Um, I, have, I have a couple of things coming up on executive functioning um, with some other guest speakers and stuff like that. So, yeah, that's tremendous. So you on. have found your place in this world, Lisa. I have. I, you know what? And I really enjoy it. Um, in 2015, my son started having seizures. Um, as we knew he might, he, you know, we had, he had a very high propensity to, to developing seizures. Um, so at that point, I mean, he went from like zero to like a hundred, you know, in, in a matter of weeks, um, once they started. So we've had a very difficult six or eight years, very difficult, multiple brain surgeries, um, and a lot of struggles and, and a lot of, um, just a lot of seizures. Um, I mean, he sometimes has, you know, dozens a day, but as a result, that doesn't make me really very, doesn't make me a very good employee. I'm a very good employee. I'm not a very like reliable employee because I have to tend to my child often. Right. I have to go get him at school. I have to, you know, do all these different things. He has a lot of appointments. So, um, so yeah, so owning my own business is, you know, it's offered us a freedom and an income that, you know, moms like us need. <laughs> yeah. And some flexibility. Well, I appreciate all that you have done. You've been a wonderful resource over, I'm trying to think 23 years, right? You started 13, 13. Yeah. yeah. It's great. Yeah. It's yeah. great. It's been, I've watched you grow and expand over the years. So I really Thank appreciate you. it. Thank okay. You. So when, okay, this podcast is focused on kids who have ADHD primarily. Um, and that comes with all kinds of friends for ADHD kids. They can have all kinds of things going on, like learning anxiety. Right. It rarely um, travels alone. It doesn't travel <laughs> alone. So, so it's very important. I think when you get a kid who um, is struggling, you will find as a parent, if you've never been down this road before, that you have to get educated about 
IEPs and 504s and learning how to advocate and work with the school to support your child so they can get through with their well-being intact is kind of the, the overall goal. Okay, so a lot of parents have a question. When a parent suspects their child is struggling with the learning at school, what's what steps should they take? What do they do? So the first step that I always offer, especially to moms, but also you know to dads too, is always go with your gut. Um, I think women in particular, that we're talked out of our gut instincts quite a bit. Um, and this is an area where I find, I find like ADHD and dyslexia, I, I see, I think often like the most gaslighting of parents and the, oh, he's fine. Oh, he's fine. He's a joy to have in class. He's doing fine. He just needs to pay attention. He just needs to do this. He just needs to do that. Um, so listen to your gut instinct. And if things aren't going well, you know, don't do the wait and see. Don't do, you know, don't take the, oh, he's just fine. Um, keep pursuing it and, and open the communication with your child too. School, for the most part, is, you know, supposed to be an enjoyable experience right? Like it is work. It's, it's work for kids to go to school. And I get that, but it shouldn't be this drudgery, this torture, this experience that just turns you into like a ball of anxiety at the end of the day where you completely come home and have to like, you know, you just completely lose it. Right. right. Like we've, we've all had these like jobs that we hate. And you go to the job and you hate it so much, but you just kind of endure it and you endure it because you need money and, you know, you go home and at the end of the day, well, you know, kids can experience that too. It's just, it's yes. just school for them. It's not work. So listen to your child, go with your gut and then, you know, just follow the process. And that means doing everything in writing. So if you're going to request evaluations, it has to be in writing, not just this little chit chat in the doorway when you're picking up the child that does not count. Right. Um, That's it's, it's huge. Something. Right. It is huge because then, you know, three months go by and the parent thinks like, well, geez, why wasn't my child evaluated? And, and the parent says, or, you know, the teacher says, well, you never requested evaluations and you're thinking you did, but if you didn't in writing, then you didn't. Um, right. And does that writing need to go to the teacher or does it go to the principal? Either or. Okay. Either or. Um, you know, it should be the teacher's responsibility to forward it to whoever handles those things. Okay. Um, per IDEA, anyone, but especially teachers, are actually encouraged to refer kids for evaluations. Um, I think the climate out there is just that that doesn't happen too much anymore, um, that, that teachers actually make those referrals. It's almost always parent-driven at this point. Um, and that's just kind of where we've gotten. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, I've heard from parents who have teachers who desperately want that child to be evaluated and they're dropping these big hints of, well, maybe you want to request some evaluations or maybe you want to request some assessments. If you're hearing those kinds of things from your teachers, yes, put those assessments in, you know, put those requests in for assessments, because for whatever reason, they don't feel comfortable doing it. But they, they, you know, that's kind of like their way of telling you, like, yes, they agree with you. That yes, listen to those flags, right, coming right. from the teachers. Why are the teachers so soft spoken? Why don't they just take action and get the process going? Why are there these little like, 
soft flags. Because become such a hostile environment. It's yeah. just unfortunately where we are. I mean, this is, it's part of the reason why they're leaving in droves, right? Like nobody gets into teaching to make a kid's life miserable. They get into teaching because they want to help kids. And right. they're, they're stuck in these jobs um, where you're actively discouraged. I mean, I honestly have a friend, her husband is a teacher. I don't, of course, not going to say her name, but many years ago, he told me that they were out and out just told in a staff meeting, hey, we can't be evaluating all these kids all the time. Stop referring them for evaluations, just RTI them. What's RTI? Um, response to intervention. Okay. It's, kind so of, just, it's just kind of like a lower level program like with a lot. Handle it. Yeah. Just try to do the best you can. Okay. Yeah. So that's good to know. Okay. I mean, so I think, I think that scenario, I think that's happening a lot of places. So. Yes, I agree. And I think there's a lot of this gaslighting you call or soft selling. So I think parents, when you're getting into this, does the school get to dictate how they support your kid? Is it like this push down dictation or does the parent have this right to provide so input? Are, yeah, Parents are an equal member of the IEP team. Parents have mandated rights. They're in your procedural safeguards. They're in IDEA as far as you have to be invited to IEP meetings and things like that. However, and this is, you know, I talk with my legislators actually a lot about this. It's not equal because it comes down to the school is going to pre present you with their final offer of fate. So you can go back and forth, you know, on email or at these IEP meetings or whatever it is at a certain point, you know, you're just going to come to an impasse. And I've, I've been there myself. I was, I was fighting for a, a certain kindergarten placement for my child. District was offering something else. I wanted something. And at one point the special ed director just looked at me and he said, look, I'm just telling you, like, this is our final offer of fate. This is what your PWN is going to say. So they get to kind of offer that to you. Now, yes, you do have rights for dispute resolution and everything else, but that's also a very unbalanced system. Right. So, okay. It, it's kind of like a gray area. Yeah. Okay. And so, um, I've heard parents say like, when you get into, maybe before you get to that impasse, I think it's like, how do you just nag at the school to get, I think some parents' strategy is just to keep calling and maybe escalate that inside a school system, or right. just to nag and just bug them to try to get them to cave. But right. what would be the right strategy for a parent like that who's super frustrated and not feeling like their child's being... Um, they see their kids struggling at school and home. And so the plan isn't working. Right. So how do you get that plan to kind of, to create a better plan? It comes back to that documentation piece, just document, document, document. Um, if there are incidents at school, you know, write them down, keep it, keep a little notebook in the kitchen um, to just document incidents or email them to the teacher. Um, if, you know, for whatever you're requesting, if it's bullying, for instance, and you're, you're trying to get this bullying handled and they're, no, he's fine. He's fine. We don't see it. Um, whatever it is, you want to have that documentation on paper that says that the child needs that support or service. Okay. From there, I honestly, I would request it once in writing. I would meet about it if, if it's warranted to meet about it. 
and then they have to provide that to you on a PWN if they're not going to provide it. What's a PWN? A PWN is a prior written notice. Okay. So if the school district, if the school district wants to make any change to FAPE, so if they want to change the IEP at all, or if they refuse to make a change to FAPE, so if the parent requests a change to the IEP and the school district is refusing to change that, um, if they're, they have to provide that to you in writing. So let's say you have a whole bunch of documentation as to why your child needs a one-on-one -on -one for focus and attention and staying on task and things like that. You would have a whole bunch of documented incidents. Um, I would do that with the written request that this be added to the IEP. And then again, you know, meet about it, yes, no. If they refuse to give you that one-on-one -on -one aid, they have to send you notice in writing why they're refusing your request. Parents don't know this little thing. It's, it's called the PWN. I have a very large article about it on my website about how to use it effectively. But pairing that with a, a parent concern letter in the PWN is really the most effective way. Okay. Okay. Good to I, know. I think just constantly emailing, constantly nagging, calling. Um, I, I even had a parent tell me one time, like, well, I'm just going to request an email or an IEP meeting every week until they say yes. Like, well, no, if, you know, they have to provide you in writing why they're not going to do it. Let me just, sorry, you see, I can go into the weeds really Yeah, quickly. but I think uh, it's really <laughs> helpful to know because it's like parents just don't know what to do, right? Right. It's like you get so into this makes, cycle. What makes the PWN so powerful in my mind is that it's very easy when you're in an IEP meeting and you're sitting there and you're surrounded by 10 of your coworkers and mom is there by herself. It's very easy for me to look you right in the eye and say, oh, let's just wait another six months and see how this goes. Which means yeah, you've just it's been very told no. intimidating, right? Right. You've just been told no. Yes. It's very easy to say no in person. It's not so easy to write it down on a PWN form and list the reasons why you're saying no. Okay. Because you're essentially telling you, know, you have to s spell out everything for the parent. Why are you refusing this request? And they have to write that down on the form. Okay, that is fantastic advice. I even think because a lot of parents actually, if they have ADHD kids, they may have ADHD themselves, right? And I do think just have, and you're not, you know, if you don't have, um, didn't go to get an education in IEPs, right? Um, special training, it, it it is helpful to see it in writing. It helps you process what's going on, right? And yes, and internalize I mean, that's, what's happening. So that's great advice. Right. And, and when it, with any of these um, conditions, ADHD, dyslexia, any of them, you know, so many of them are genetic. So yes, the parent often has the same condition and often has the same school experience. And they think that school is supposed to be hard and that school is supposed to be a struggle and you're not supposed to like school. Because that was their experience. Yeah. Well, or there's this feeling, which I do think, that school's gotten harder or more structured. There's more. I don't yeah. know. The academic load seems higher than it was. That's interesting because I, I feel like it's not as challenging. Oh, really? Yeah. Like it's, yeah. Like it's all this, at least around here, well, it seems to be, yeah. there's a huge focus on the standardized testing and not much else. Well, yes, there's a lot of test taking and I do live, um, 
in California with the, where it's just um, everybody's, there's this um, spirit that everyone's going to a high-end college. Mm -hmm. And so that's the train that every kid is expected to be on. Yeah. So it makes, that makes it tough. Um, okay. So I, th another question I have for you, Lisa, at what point should a parent consider bringing in a special education advocate or even an attorney? What, where is that line? When you, when you reach that impasse and you get that final offer of faith, right? The, the school has given you their final offer of faith. It's the IEP. It's, this is what we're offering you. Um, you have to decide what you're going to do, right? Are you going to accept that? Or are you going to use your dispute resolution options? Um, at which point, you know, yes, if, if you're, if you're headed down that path, I would look into an adv advocate or an attorney. Um, there just aren't a lot of advocates out there and it is a very labor intensive business one client takes a lot of your time because even though we have more experience with it and I can read an IEP and comb over an IEP um, probably easier than, than most people, it still is a lot of work. Okay. Um, and it, so, so we can't serve as many people as we'd like to, because we just, there's starting enough hours in the day. Um, so I, and since most kids are going to be using this for 10, 15 years, I would recommend that you look to your parent training center, look to other advocacy courses and things like that, because you know it, it's certainly easier and most more cost effective to do it on your own. Right, um, right, right. And use your website, I would say. Right. To get the education and the and the kind of some resources that you can use to help work with the with the school and your child. Yeah. Okay, so Lisa, the ever-ending question is, what is the difference between a, having a 504 for your kid and an IEP? What's the difference? Why would somebody need, why would a child need one or both? Great question. They are uh, governed by two different laws. One is obviously governed by Section 504, and the other is IDEA. And 504 plans are accommodations only. There's no progress monitoring. There's no goals. Okay. Those are the two big ones. And the parent is not a mandated team member. I feel that they have less teeth. Um, I have advocate friends who disagree and say, no, 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 you can, you can get them enforced just like you can an IEP. Also with, with an IEP, I mean, both, both have their own dispute resolution procedures. Um, oh, 504s now, like they were never intended to be an IEP light. And that's what they're being used as. They were intended to be for the person who just needs accommodations, right? Like think of the child who um, maybe has juvenile arthritis and needs to use the elevator key and needs whatever, extra time in the hallway to get to and from classes, like these, like kind of minor accommodations to be able to access your education. Right. What they're being used as is like a junior IEP or an IEP light to kind of pacify parents, satisfy parents. Um, they're a quicker and cheaper 
way to say you're accommodating the child. Yeah. 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 Well, Um, and I look, when you look at ADHD, I mean, it can, I look at the 504 can accommodate the attention piece, if you will, to be able to like sit in the front of the classroom or stand up in the back, whatever somebody needs to help them focus, get up, go to the walk around for a minute and come back. But if you're struggling with learning, that's not going to address all exactly. The it doesn't that teach. It, Accommodations don't yeah. teach, and that's where I think, as as science and medicine and just our knowledge of things like ADHD have evolved over the past twenty or thirty years. Yeah, like we know more about ADHD than we did twenty five years ago. So twenty five years ago, okay, you give kid more, you know, you can get more time on a test. Well, I use this example on my website. Like you could give me a week to change a tire on a car. I don't know how to do it. If you don't teach me how to do it. I could have all the time in the world. Right. (laughs) Right. You know, or the, um, you can retake tests like, okay, but, but if I don't know how to change a tire, I didn't know how to do it the first time. I'm not going to know how to do it the second time. And you know, like if if we want to bring it back into ADHD, a lot of the accommodations, accommodate for a lack of executive functioning skills but what are we doing to teach the executive functioning skills do schools teach that <laughs> I, I don't think don't they laugh. you're not supposed to laugh they i know i'm be. sorry yeah, but I, that's know, I know i know i know why don't they teach that they should right. but yeah. right but that's what i see is all these accommodations to help a child with their lack of executive functioning skills but no one's teaching them the skills yeah and as far as behaviors i'm seeing 504s and sometimes even behavior plans that are basically trying to snowplow the environment for the child to not ever trigger them rather than actually teaching them coping mechanisms and teaching them emotional regulation, which is what we need to be doing because we can't snowplow our kids for the rest of their lives. Right. Right. Yep. um, So that's just the thing. I, I just see over 504s being really used and overused and abused in that manner, that they're accommodating or, you know, l- writing down accommodations, but they're not teaching the skills that kids need. You know, I see it's, it's, it's a sin, all the 504s I see for dyslexia, when yeah. a kid is never going to learn to read just by being around fewer kids. Yes, I, mean, I that's know. That's what they do. They say, oh, well, we're going to put them in a small group. No, he needs a, a, a specific reading intervention for his type of dyslexia. He doesn't yeah. just need to sit around fewer kids. Kids, you, right. <laughs> and with this, well, and with dyslexia, with an intervention, you can learn how to read. Mm-hmm. It really is not like impossible. Right. right. Yes. And I did hear Lisa in one state, um, if you're not reading by third grade, they just hold you back as if holding you back is going <laughs> to suddenly make you a reader. Right. Right. Okay. Parents. Yeah. So it's a, there's a lot sitting on your shoulders, but it is yeah. worth it to advocate for your kid and get the accommodations in place that, that, that they do need. Lisa, I but did want to, and I would say, but it, to, to your point about the whole third grade thing, like just repeating, isn't going to teach and read the same thing I would say for parents who say like, okay, I'm really overwhelmed by this whole IEP thing. I'm overwhelmed by the 504 thing, whatever ADHD. We don't have a choice. We do not have a choice. 
if you don't speak up, your child is going to get left behind. Yes, they are because teachers have too many kids. The, they have too many responsibilities and not enough hours in the day. And, um, you know, aides and paras, funding is being, you know, cut and everything. Yeah. You have to speak up. You have to. So Lisa, why don't the schools just evolve into just a more accommodating place? Is it the standardized testing that's kind of screwing everything up? Like teaching to this test, which is national? Um, I mean, I think there's two reasons. I think one is that our schools have been underfunded for 50 years. And that's having a cumulative effect. And so, I mean, that's how the problem starts is with no money. And then it just kind of like, then that's just becomes the, like they feel attacked because they do want to help your kids. And they're constantly being told that they, you're not helping my kid. You're not, you know, my kid's not learning, you know, I'm upset. My kid's upset. And um, that's kind of demoralizing for them because that's not why they got into this job. So then that just kind of becomes the climate of this like, contentious, you know, atmosphere. Yeah. But, but they don't have enough money. They don't, you know, they haven't for 50 years. So. Okay. So Lisa, what would be your words of wisdom knowing that this is the, the situation with getting an education for kids and they're struggling? What would, you've kind of tapped into this a little bit, but what would be as we wrap up, like your words of wisdom for parents? Um, commit to learning the process you know, it's something that your child is going to use for their entire academic career. Cause even once if, you know, if they are on that college path, um, they're going to, you know, they very likely may need accommodations in college. So you're going to need to shift a little bit. The process isn't exactly the same, but they're going to need some assistance, um, maybe advocating as an adult. So just commit to learning the process. It's not fun, but it's kind of like, you know, once you turn 50 and you got to get a colonoscopy, like, I don't want to do it, but I don't want colon cancer either. So, you know, so, so we'll go do it. Um, or a mammogram or whatever, you know, whatever, name another unpleasant medical test. It's just something that we have to do. And once you begin to learn the process and your knowledge base grows, as your knowledge base grows, the process feels easier. I don't want to say it gets easier, but it feels easier because you're like, oh, okay, I know what to do now. I don't feel overwhelmed. I know what to do. Um, and then, you know, I always encourage parents to get involved on the political level, whether it's your school board or, you know, with like, say the legislative arm of the various disability agencies, you know, they almost all have a legislative arm to them, um, you know, and pushing change that way. I don't know that it's going to happen in our lifetime, but, um, and, you know, and lastly, there's always what I call the path of least resistance. And that is, you know what, if, if it's easier for you and you have the means to do it, I know that schools have to provide FAPE, which is free and appropriate education. Um, but if you can afford private services and you can do tutoring after school or hire an executive functioning coach or one of those things and your family can, has the means to do that, it's an option, you know? It's, right. It's, it may mean extra resources. Right? right. Yeah. Right. And, and I know that that's not fair and oh, you're not holding the schools accountable. Well, we're also in a situation where a lot of parents like you and I, um, when you start to have older kids or teenagers or whatever, then you're, you know, some of, some of the families I work with, like they're caring for aging parents 
or they're dealing with the spouse who has cancer or going through a divorce or joblessness, you know, all these different things. So not right. everybody has the fight in them all the time to yep. fight the district. And if you don't want to fight the district and you have an, an, a different way out, consider it. I think right. we can just get so narrowed in this, like my IEP should say this and it should say <laughs> this, and, you know, and, and I get that. But, um, but, you know, if you have other options, just look at all the options. There's scholarships out there for different agencies. There's, you know, all kinds of different things out there. Yes. Yes. Be resourceful. Right. Very yeah, be resourceful. resourceful. Ask your insurance company what they might cover. You know, some might cover different things. You never know. Right. Um, Right. You never know. Okay. Well, thank you, Lisa. This was, you were a wealth of information.